Well, praise God, rise up. I am excited to be with you guys today. God has been so good to us, um, and I'm just grateful for all that he's done in this family so far. Uh, This has been an awesome series. I've been really enjoying going through the book of Joshua with you. I am praying that God is blessing you um, as you go through his word. I pray that um, the story of the Israelites, that it would really be um, a reminder for us of God's faithfulness and uh, also the importance of uh, following and being obedient to him. Um, I want to go to Joshua chapter 7 today. This is a big chapter, um, but I want to try to take it head on today. Um, I got some things that the Holy Spirit's really been putting on my heart that I want us to dive into. There's so much in this chapter, so I mean, we could take, you know, four or five weeks talking about this chapter, but uh, I want to go through it today with you. So again, we just finished up um, Joshua chapter 6, part 3. We took that chapter into three chunks, Um, but we're going to go into Joshua chapter 7. The Israelites have just um, conquered Jericho. And um, I want to actually read the last verse of, of Joshua 6, and then we're going to go through Joshua 7, because Joshua 6, verse 27, is really important for the rest of Joshua 7. So, um, you know, get comfortable. I'm going to read Joshua chapter 7. Um, it says this, so Joshua six twenty-seven. it says, So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near beth to the east of Bethel, and told them, Go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all of the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it, and do not weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. So about three thousand went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about thirty-six of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe us and wipe our name out from the land. What then will you do for your own great name? The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen, they have lied, and they have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they've been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. 
In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe the Lord chooses shall come forward clan by clan. The clan the Lord chooses shall come forward family by family. And the family the Lord chooses shall come forward man by man. Whoever is caught with the devoted thing shall be destroyed by fire, along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes and Judah was chosen. The clans of Judah came forward and the Zerahites were chosen. He had the clan of the Zerahites come forward by families and Zimri was chosen. Joshua had his family come forward man by man and Achan son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was chosen. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw the plunder in a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground under my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites and spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua together with all Israel took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar, his sons and daughters, his cattle, his donkeys, and his sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Echor. Joshua said, Why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him. And after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Echor ever since. Whew, praise God. Well, that that's a lot. A lot of things going on in this chapter. Um, you know, this is a, uh, a heavy chapter even because we see uh, in, in Joshua chapter 7, we see this man named uh, Achan, um, who is a part of the tribe of, the, the tribe of Judah. And we see this situation where Chapter 7 starts out, the Israelites have just conquered Jericho, right? Jericho was the first city that the Israelites um, came into contact with as they came across the Jordan. And so the Israelites ran into Jericho, which is this fortified fortress, um, you know, super big military um, complex, heavily fortified, really big victory. The Israelites gain victory over Jericho. And then we see in Joshua chapter 7, they move on to battle number 2, which is Ai. Um, and for you know those Hebrew scholars out there, Ai is typically pronounced Ai in the Hebrew language, but I'm probably going to say Ai uh, because that's you know what I've grown up with. Um, but so the Israelites, we see them get through Jericho, right? They have this huge amazing victory and they're in the promised land they just saw god do an amazing thing and i think part of my responsibility as a as a reader of the bible um, is for us to again put ourselves in the text right to really think about what were the israelites feeling at this moment right i imagine that for the israelites this has been an amazing couple weeks for them right they saw god 
you know, part the Jordan River for them. Um, a lot of them, you know, they weren't alive to see um, the Red Sea, but all of them see this, this amazing miracle with the Jordan River. And then a little while later, they see that when they march around the walls of Jericho, that God does this amazing miracle and they see the walls of Jericho fall, right? So all of these Israelites, they're probably just like, at least if I was there, I'd be like, God is so amazing. He truly did give us the land and he's so good. And God does this amazing miracle in their lives, right? And I think a lot of us, as we're listening today, a lot of us, and, and I think that this is part of a skill even, is looking back on your life and seeing all of the miracles that God has brought you through, right? All of the different Jerichos, right, that God has brought you through. All the things that we didn't think we were going to get through, but yet God did something amazing in our hearts. God did something amazing in the situation. Now we have this amazing testimony, right, of how good God is, right? But Joshua chapter 7, this is the first kind of topic I want to hit, is we see that the success at Jericho, that what it did, the success at Jericho was absolutely amazing. God did this amazing thing for his glory, right? He set it up in a way that it was only God, it wasn't them. And yet what I see happen is Joshua chapter seven, it reminds me of something that I call the success trap. The success trap. You see, Jericho was a fortified fortress, right? It had defenses. It had walls, it had military personnel. It was a fortified fortress that was difficult for the Israelites to conquer, right? So you have this battle straight up right away where it's like, man, this is such a difficult battle, right? But then you have AI and you read that, that um, Joshua has these spies go forward. They look at AI and they say, hey, there's not a lot of people up there. This is going to be an easy one. Don't send the whole army, just send a couple thousand people and we'll take care of it. It's pretty easy, right? AI in this context, all the way back then, AI is literally translated to uh, ruins, right? It's literally ruins. And in the Hebrew, there's actually a definite article there. So it's actually more read as the ruins, right? So it's uh, pretty uh, widely acknowledged as scholars that this, the ruins was a, um, a geographical artifact where people knew where this was. Um, and this was this place called the ruins. And what a lot of scholars believe is that this was actually a Canaanite uh, town that had been demolished for centuries and centuries and centuries, like early Bronze Age, 1700, 1800 BC. So it had been centuries since this place called Ai was um, occupied. And so it was essentially this huge pile of ruins where there were few people that lived there, the Bible said. A lot of scholars believe it looked like it was more just civilians, farmers, people like that. It was not this imposing huge structure like Jericho. And AI was the success trap for the Israelites. Because when you look at these two battles, if I said, hey, which one of these two battles, Jericho or AI, which one is more difficult, right? Which one's the more difficult battle? I think all of us 10 times out of 10 would say, hey, Jericho is the more difficult battle. Jericho has walls. It has, you know, military people. There's all these reasons why Jericho on the natural realm is a more difficult battle. But what I would say today to you and what I'm going to submit to us is that I actually believe that AI was the harder battle, right? Because Jericho, I believe it was such an impossible situation that the Israelites had to rely on God. Right? There are things like that in our lives, right? Where there are things that are so outside of our control that we're just like, God, you have to do this, 
right? There are things, situations that get so bad where unfortunately it takes situations getting bad enough that we actually finally start to rely on God, right? But the reason why I say that AI was a more difficult battle because AI looked easy on the outside. And so therefore the Israelites in their humanness thought that I can do this without God. Because in this moment, in the, in the chapter, we don't see anything that the Israelites inquired upon the Lord before going into this battle, right? We see that Joshua, he has them go scout out the city and the, the spies go and they see this tiny, you know, pile of ruins with a couple people. And geographically, it was actually a 15 mile uphill walk. And so the spies are like, hey, there's not a lot of people here. Like Jericho was a battle. We got this one. Right, And we see this success trap, what I'm calling it, that I believe a lot of us are in today. right? Because the Israelites, where they went wrong is they said, we needed God for Jericho, but I don't need God for AI. Right? And last week I asked the question, I said, what's been your Jericho? Right? What is that situation in your life that is so out of your control, that it looks so difficult, it looks like it's locked up like Jericho? And I believe that God wants to deliver us through our Jerichos, right? But now I got to ask the question this week is in the same light, what's been your Jericho? Now what's been your AI, right? Because there are things in our lives right now that part of the trap of success is that when God does things in our lives and we have success, whether it's in our job, whether it's in my relationships, whether it's in ministry, whether it's in my own self-help, whether it's in, you know, my disciplines, whatever it might be, I have a tendency, and I I would say we have a tendency for when we start having success, we get into this trap of thinking that I don't need God anymore, right? We stop asking God for help in little things, right? The little things that we just think in our pride we can do on our own, right? Like, Like the reality is I can't get up out of bed on my own. I can't breathe on my own. I can't eat on my own. I don't get this job on my own. And I just, and and this week, you guys, I needed to repent. And I pray right now that the Holy Spirit would soften hearts that are, that are hard to this, right? Because the reality is that we have been taking so many situations in our lives, whether it's your job, whether it's our school, whether it's our relationships. And we've had this, maybe not conscious decision, but maybe a subconscious decision in saying, God, I got this, Lord. Lord, I need you for the Thursday night stuff. I need you for the Sunday morning stuff. I need you for things when things get really, really bad. But God, once things don't look so bad, once the thing doesn't look like Jericho, but it looks like AI, now all of a sudden, God, I think I can do it on my own and I got this. And the Holy Spirit has just been telling me that there are AIs in our lives that we're looking at and we're just thinking that we can do them all on our own. And the Israelites learn really quickly that the things that look really easy, we can't do without God. I don't care how easy it is, and I thank God for His grace, because the reality is that my flesh, because I've known nothing else, totally thinks that I can get up on my own, right? Where I don't like go to bed at night and I don't wake up and I'm like, God, thank you for waking me up. Like I try to as a discipline, but my spirit is not filled with joy. But the reality is that the fact that I got up this morning is a reason why I should be joyful. The fact that I'm breathing, the fact that I'm healthy, the fact that I have activity of all of my limbs, right? We say it tongue in cheek, but I've been praying for God to give me a heart of gratitude. 
Because if I truly understood that even things like AI spiritually, even things like AI, I need God for. What we see is the Israelites, they say, hey, we got this. We just had an awesome victory. We're going to try to do it in our own strength. Right? We're going to go try to do it on our own. And we see that they send two or 3,000 men up to Ai. And the Bible says that the Israelites, that they were routed by the people in Ai. And again, they said that they, were, that they died on the slopes, right? That they chased them down the quarry. And they actually had to go up this ridge for 15 miles, right? They were going uphill still, right? They were going up this ridge 15 miles. Ai was considered this gate, right? So get this in your mind. So you got Jericho down at the bottom of this hill, basically. You got to go up this ridge with hills on either side, right? It's a valley. You got to go up this valley 15 miles. They get to AI, and AI is literally this, this pile of ruins that acts as the gate, right? They literally, some people called it back then a gate because what AI was is AI was the gate. If you could get through AI, if you could get through this ruins, then you would be up on the central plateaus where then your next stop was Bethel. Right And Bethel in the Canaanite age that, they, that, that the Israelites were walking into, Bethel was the hub for the land of Canaan. So if you could take Bethel, you were good to go. But in order to get to Bethel, you had to go through Ai. And I think for a lot of people today, in order to get to where we want to go with God, hallelujah, thank you, Holy Spirit, help me with this. In order to get to where we want to go with God, which was for the Israelites, it was Bethel. But in order for me to go deeper with God, there is a gate that I need to be able to get through, which is me believing that I can do things in my own strength. I'm going to say it right now. That's not a part of what I was going to talk about, but help me, Holy Ghost. AI was a gate to the rest of the promised land. AI was a gate to going deeper with God. AI was a gate to going higher with God. A lot of us say we want to go higher with God, but there is a gate that we cannot get around that will limit your intimacy with God when you still deep down, and again, you're going to say it on the outside, like, oh, I trust God, I need God. But when I deep down and walking in a way that I believe I can do it without God, it limits my ability to go deeper with God because this has been the problem we've had since the beginning, which is I struggle with pride in saying that, God, I need you in the hard times, but I don't need you in the easy times, right? I need you when things are difficult, but then once you do it, I'm good, right? And think about it. If I was a friend, like if a friend did that to me, or God forbid a spouse did that to me, right? right? Like think about it. For those of you that are married or th- you know, those of you that have roommates, whatever, imagine if you had a friend or a spouse where whenever they needed something from you, that's when they talked to you. But then once you gave them money or once you gave them help for whatever they needed, then they just never talk to you again. And then after that, they need something again and they come back to you then and then they leave you and never talk to you again. How just terrible of a friend would that be? And like that's convicting because that's exactly what I do with God. Like help me Holy Spirit, he knows it better than anyone. That's what I do with God is I go when I run into Jericho's I all of a sudden get on my face and start needing God. (laughs) Man, I feel the Holy Ghost all over this one. Help us, God. Because this is where the church needs to grow in. This is where we need to grow in as a community at Rise Up. I am not satisfied with where I am with God. I don't want to be satisfied where I am with God. Because I hit Jericho's constantly. And the reality is that I only go after God and I only lean and depend on God when I hit a Jericho. 
and that will limit my ability to go deeper into the promised land, which is a relationship with God. Because there is a gate called AI, right? There are situations called AI. There are situations that we do our lives and we don't think that we need God. So we, we put God in this little cubby that we pull out either when we're at church or we pull out when things get really bad. And then all of a sudden we pray, we seek God, we fast, we go to church again. And then all of a sudden when things get better, we stop worshiping God. We stop going to church, we stop fasting, we stop praying, and we hit this gate called AI. And I believe in my spirit that so many of us are stuck at that gate called AI. And AI is not a one-time decision that you get past and then you go again. It is a constant, right? Crossing the Jordan, Jericho, um, especially Jericho AI, this is a daily process that I need to learn is that some days there are going to be Jerichos. And I need to trust God in those Jerichos and I need to be obedient. But some days there are going to be AIs. And praise God, I want to trust God with my AIs because the Israelites, they don't trust God with AI. They go up, they try to do it in their own strength and they get defeated. 36 men die. They come back. Joshua hears about this and Joshua says, what in the world is going on? And he starts to seek God. Right? And, and a lot of us, I could sit here right now, and I was actually planning it to rip on Joshua and say, you know, why is it that Joshua didn't seek God before they went out? But now that some people died and now that things went wrong, now Joshua is sitting at the Lord's feet. But number one, the reality is that I am Joshua at best. Right? At best, I am Joshua where I try to do things in my own strength. And typically, the only reason why I really try to go to God with anything is once I try to do it in my own strength and it doesn't work out. And so I got to get off my self-righteous horse and, you know, I won't say anything about anyone else, but just, just me. And I can't rip on Joshua because at best, that's what I do, right? At least Joshua went to God, right? How many times do I have to go up to AI and try to do it on my own? Where for Joshua, it was just one time, but I do things over and over and over and over and over again. And I, you know, I, I bring God the Jerichos, but I don't bring them the AIs. Right? But then we see in the text that Joshua goes before the Lord and he makes this plea to God and he speaks the word back to God and say, God, all these people, they're going to know that we're vulnerable. They're going to attack us. God, why do you even bring us out? And Joshua starts going into a little bit of humanness that I think a lot of us have to watch for, right? Because the first trap is the success trap. Praise God. And I want to speak that to somebody. Some of us have the problem of we have fallen into the success trap. Right? That we got over Jericho, whatever that is, and now we're stuck in this trap because we think we can do it on our own. But there's also a second trap, and I didn't even put this in my notes again, but the second trap is the failure trap. Right? Where, where the devil, because the devil has two goals. If you succeed, the devil's going to say, hey, I'm going to try to puff you up so much that you think you can do it in your own strength. And then if you fail, the devil says, hey, now I'm going to put all this doubt in your mind that God doesn't love you. And now you're going to be looking at the past and you're going to think that things were so much better. And he says that I'm going to make you fear that God doesn't love you anymore, that God isn't with you. Because we see Joshua, he says, Lord, why did you bring us out of Egypt? You know, if only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. And I see that, that Joshua now fell into the success trap. And now he's falling into the failure trap of doubting God. And we see God give a rather harsh response, right? Of saying, hey, why are you doing this? Get up. Israel has sinned. Right? They've broken the covenant that I gave them. Right? And now Joshua learns that the defeat was the product of sin from the Israelites. Right? God tells Joshua the Israelite has, the Israelites have broken the covenant. 
right? They stole, they lied, they hid the the silver and the gold and the robe that we read later on. And, uh, you know, Akin, he's hiding under his tent. And God says, and he says, hey, bring out the tribes. We're going to figure out who did this. And we're going we're gonna to fix this based on the covenant that's been broken, right? And, and I've heard this scripture, right, of Akin. Akin has talked so much about by pastors talking about what the hidden sins are, right? The fact that Akin, he took the gold, he took the silver, and it was a breaking of the covenant, and which and it was a sin, and he hid it all underneath the tent, right? And we have so many pastors and churches that talk about the hidden sins in our lives, right? The things that we're hiding from God and other people, right? Right? We talk about the pornography addictions, we talk about the adultery, we talk about the drunkenness, we talk about the drug addictions, we talk about all these things that we've labeled as, you know, the hidden sins that are back, you know, in in our lives that we don't tell anyone about and how they have a huge impact on our relationship with God and not only us, but also other people. Right? And that is so real. It's so important to talk about those things, right? For so long, you know, pornography, you know, whether it's adultery, you know, you mess up and you, you know, you, you have this addiction. We do all these things and we keep them in the dark because we're scared of what people are going to think. But the reality is that we need somebody that we can confess our sins to. Right? We need to bring those hidden sins into the light. It's so important. I'm not saying it's not important, right? First John chapter 1, verse 9, he said that if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If you internalize that verse, there's so much freedom in that. Because I tell you, every single time that I mess up, which is every single day, multiple times, every time I go to God and I say, God, please forgive me, Lord. The, the Bible says that God forgives us right away. But a lot of times our issues is that we haven't forgiven ourselves yet. And then because of that, what that does is that opens the door. Praise God, I'm going to encourage somebody today. What that does is when you continue to not forgive yourself for something that God has forgiven you of years ago, that opens the door for the enemy to start to condemn you. And, and now you find yourself asking for forgiveness and guilt and shame every single day, apologizing again and again and again and again. But the Bible says, and this is a truth that I've stood on, is when I feel the devil starting to condemn me, I speak the word of God over my life. And I say that if I confess my sins, God is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So God, because I've asked you to forgive my sins, therefore because of your word, I am the righteousness of God, that I am cleansed of all unrighteousness. And you can speak that to the devil. And then you can say, I am covered by the blood of Jesus, that today, not because I'm good enough, not because I've got everything right, but I don't need to be guilty. I don't need to be shameful because God has forgiven me. And so pastors, they talk about this hidden sin that I think is so important. And if there's hidden sin in your life today, I want to encourage you to find someone that you trust Talk to God and confess your sins to that person. Confess your sins to God because it will free you. It'll free you from the weight that that sin carries. A weight that I can tell you today, God does not want you to carry that weight. It might be scary, but I promise you when you trust God and you bring that to the light, God responds with grace. But today, I see that the Holy Spirit, this week as I was praying about this, the Holy Spirit started showing me a different kind of hidden sin, right? Because I read this verse and as I was reading, I was like, man, Josh, you know, Joshua, he calls out Achan and the Bible says that Achan, he, he hid this gold and silver underneath the tent. 
Right? In other words, it was hidden because he put it underneath the surface of the ground. And so I started thinking about it and I started praying and the Holy Spirit really started to push onto my heart that there are sins and there are things going on underneath the surface that people can't see in our lives that the church has not talked about. Right, that the church has gotten, for the most part, pretty good at Christians, you know, talking about, you know, the quote-unquote hidden sins of pornography and adultery and drunkenness and addictions and all these things that we, as Americans, especially American Christians, we've created this hierarchy of saying those are the ones that are lost, right? Those are the ones that are broken people. It's the ones that are caught in idolatry. In, in, in idolatry. It's the ones that are that are caught in addictions to pornography and drugs and alcohol and all these things. And I believe, praise God, I don't think that those are incorrect, right? Those are things that God, that tear us away from God. Those are sin. But at the same time, praise God, I believe that the devil has used that and the devil has said, crap, okay, the church understands now that these hidden sins are being brought to the light. But what I'm going to do now is I'm going to get them to focus in their self-righteousness so much on people that are addicted to these outside things. And if the church focuses so much on things on the outside, that if we're not careful, we're going to start neglecting the things that are going on under the surface. Right, because we love to talk about, and, and, and even to the point, if I'm being honest, we love to condemn the people that are wrestling with those sins that I listed earlier. But the reality is that there are no sins. Sin is sin to God, right? We've all fall short of the glory of God, right? But there are things that are happening underneath the surface of people's lives that according to scripture, I would make the argument are even bigger issues at times, right? Again, sin is sin to God, but if you really want to play the hierarchy card, right? Let's go to Proverbs chapter six, verse 16 and 19, right? Because as believers, we believe that all scripture is God breathed, right? Proverbs chapter six, verse 16 and 19, the proverb writer, he says this, he says, there are six things that the Lord hates, not just doesn't like, but that there are six things that the Lord hates. He says, haughty eyes, which is pride, a lying tongue, which is lying, hands that shed innocent blood, which is murder, heart that devises wicked schemes. I would, I would paint that as fraud, if you will. Feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness that pours out lies. Okay, we got lies again. Last one, he said, a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Notice how pornography was not on that list. Addictions like drugs and alcohol was not on the list. And again, I'm not minimizing those. You know, I want you to hear me loud and clear so no one leaves and is like, oh my gosh, Pastor Chris said that these things are... No, no, no. I'm not minimizing those things. What I'm saying is I'm acknowledging that there are lists of things in Proverbs 6 that I believe have not been talked about in the church. And I believe it's been a trick of the devil is that we don't talk about pride in the church. Right, we talk about how God hates these things, and typically it's the ones that are saying that God hates these things are the ones that maybe they don't wrestle with that particular thing, but yet we don't talk about pride in the church. We don't talk about that the fact that you have an AI in your life, the fact that you think that you can do something without God, that in its root is pride. And the Bible says that God hates that. Right? I heard a pastor say this and I agree with it. The devil is not God's enemy. God already beat the devil, right? Jesus showed up on the scene, boom, it was done like that, easy. The devil is not God's enemy. God is over the devil. They are not equal powers. God is over the devil. What truly is the enemy that God fights is our human pride. That's the enemy. The part of me that 
thinks and wants to do it on my own, that's the part of me that fights God. You guys, there are hidden sins today in my heart, in our hearts, things underneath the surface that when you go to church and you put on that great face and you sing praise songs and you dress real nice and you put on makeup and you put on cologne and you wear those clothes and you do whatever that we can hide underneath the surface when deep down I see it that a lot of times when I have pride I don't really think I need to worship God I don't really think I need to go to church because I'm kind of in an AI season right like things aren't too bad and the reality is that we go through these cyclical cycles if you will of I run into a Jericho, I fall on my face, I get closer to God, and then he takes care of me, and then I run into an AI, and I try to do it on my own until another Jericho comes, and these cycles just continue to go and go and go and go. And the reality is that there is pride in the church today that nobody is talking about. And I need to repent because I wrestle with this pride on a daily basis. And it's the part of me that says, God, I might do things for you on the outside, but it's still all about me, right? I've been reading this in the Old Testament that over and over again, the prophets and the Lord would say to the prophets, he would say that their lips say the right things, but their hearts are far from me. And I started saying, God, man, how easy is it for us, especially those of us that have grown up in the church, right? We know all the buzzwords, right? But yet I see the church today, if we're not careful, you guys, our lips can be so close to God, but our hearts could not be further from God. Because going to church is all about me. Praying to God is all about me. Worshiping God is all about me. If God doesn't do what I ask him to do, then I'm going to stop doing it. If God blessing you changes your worship, that's a problem in my heart. If my glory to God, if my worshiping God, if my time spent with God is contingent on God blessing me, that's a pride problem, right? And then we lie, right? And a lot of times we don't even like talk about how bad lying is, right? And we come up with these different things of like, oh, this is a white lie or this is a whatever lie. Or like, it's just little lies of like, oh yeah, I did that. Or oh yeah, I did this. And there are lies that God hates, literally hates them, the Bible says. And then the one that got me was the last one, that, that people that stir up conflict in the community, people that gossip, God hates gossiping. Now again, I'm going to be very careful and say that God doesn't hate people. God hates the sin. He loves the person. I'm called to do that as well. But also, I'm not going to use that as a fluffy white pillow to tell you it's okay, God loves you. It is true, God loves you, but God hates the sin that is running your life. I'm going to say that one more time because I probably just lost a couple people. Help me, Holy Ghost. God loves me, but God hates the sin that runs our lives. And so I have to constantly repent and say, God, where is the pride in my life? God, God, how am I trying to do things in your own strength? Because yes, it's these, it's these hidden sins that people talk about that are really real. And like I said, we got to bring them to God. We got to bring them to people. We got to ask them to, cl to cleanse our unrighteousness. But also, what are the things underneath the surface in your life that you have been allowing to run rampant and to grow and to get roots inside of your heart? Praise God, because what God did is he said, hey, go and pull up the stuff from underneath 
underneath the surface. Hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost right now that some people need to pull up some of the things underneath the surface that have been taking roots in your heart. Hallelujah. Some people need to pull up the pride and the arrogance and the gossiping and the jealousy and the comparison, the things that are running our lives. They're impacting the people around you. They're impacting your relationship with God. And God says that I love you, but I hate the sin. So God tells Achan, he says, go and, and, and get, get the spies and go have them grab the stuff. And the last thing I want to close with this is that they take the stuff and the Bible says that he, they, they stone him. That was, that was a part of the law of that day is that if you broke the promise, if you broke the covenant, then you and your family, everything that's defiled, right? Because he put the stuff underneath the tent. So therefore the tent and everything is defiled now, right? So they had to burn the tent. That Yeah, they, they stoned his family, which morally is a really difficult thing to wrestle with. But again, we go back to what we talked about in part one of Joshua chapter six, which God is a God of love, but God is also a God of judgment. And I'll be honest with you, like, like I, I, I'm okay. Like, it's not easy, but like, I understand that God is God. Like, I am not equal with God where my moral laws that I've come up... Because the reality is moral law is subjective, right? Right. What you think is moral, what I think is moral, what someone in India thinks is moral, what someone in China thinks is moral, they're all different. And so whose moral law is right? Well, the reality is that by me saying that God is God, I'm saying that what God does inherently is right because he's God. Right? For something to be right, there has to be something wrong. For something to be wrong, you need to have a foundation for what is right. And the reality is that I do not, as a human, have the ability to decide and be the judge of what is right or wrong. God is a God of love, but God is a God of jealousy. He is a God of wrath. And in this moment, we see that God responds to um, Achan. I almost said Achan. God responds to Achan breaking the covenant. That's hard to wrestle with, but today I just got to say, God, I submit myself to you because God says that they, that what Akin did is he stole. And this was the last part that really blew my mind away is that God said that he stole. And at first I read this and I was like, what? Like he didn't steal. Like they conquered Jericho, right? Like they, 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 they got Jericho. They got everything inside of them, right? But then the Holy Spirit brought me back to Joshua 6 when the commander of the army, the Lord was giving them instructions and he said, Hey, you're going to have to kill everyone. But what you're going to do is you're going to take the gold and the silver and the dedicated things. Those belong to the Lord. Those need to go in the sanctuary. And so what Akin does is even though knowing that he said, I'm going to take the gold, I'm going to take the silver because I want it. And I'm going to go hide it. And so God said, you stole. Right? And there's a huge parallel here, you guys, that is so important, is that Akin, look at the process, look at the pride that he deals with. And this is the reason why I thought it was so important today, because this is not a new thing. There is a huge parallel, right? The Old Testament is so filled with, with, with parallels throughout Scripture. And what I see with Akin is that Akin was wrestling with pride because he saw something that was supposed to be God's, he, he, he went against God's covenant, and then he went and he hid it. Who does that remind you of? Achan had the same issue that Eve had all the way back in the garden. Thousands of years ago where Eve saw this fruit and God said, you can't eat from this tree of good and evil. And yet Eve saw it. She was enticed by the devil. She took it, right? She took it. And then after they ate it, they hid and that's what sin does for us, is we try to hide from God when we sin. That's what sin does, is we wrestle with this pride in saying, I want to be God. I want to take 
what I want for me, and I'm not going to serve God and live according to his rules. I'm going to live according to my rules. And that in itself is the root of pride that we wrestle with in humanity. And we steal from God. And a lot of us might be like, well, I haven't stolen from God. The reality is that, yeah, we have. Holy Spirit was telling me this week is that it's not just physically stealing things. And again, the Old Testament is a lot of times symbolic for the spiritual lives that we walk with God. And the Holy Spirit really started putting in my heart that how many times do I steal from God? How many times do I allow my job to steal my time with Him? How many times do I allow the TV shows that I watch? Right, right, right. So many of us, we talk about, man, it's so hard, you know. Quiet time is so difficult right now. I'm just struggling to have quiet time. But the reality is that is that we're staying up late. We're watching TV shows. We have all the time in the world to watch TV. We have all the time in the world to go hang out with friends. We have all the time in the world to eat food, right? right? We tend to never be like, man, I've been so busy the last two days. I haven't ate anything, right? Typically, because what I found is that we find time for things that we value. I'm going to say it right now. You find time for things that you value. No matter how difficult or busy your life is, I find time for things that I value. So God's been convicting me and saying that where has maybe your job or your relationships or even your desire for comfort, where has that maybe been stealing time from you? Right? Whether it's TV shows or video games or sports or whatever it might be, things that aren't bad things, but things that should not be stealing time from God. These things have huge impacts on us. So today as I was praying... I was asking the Holy Spirit just to give us insight on where is your AI? What are the things in your life that you're trying to do in your own strength? What are the cycles maybe that you've been going through where when you face a Jericho, you you lean and depend on God, but then once you get out of that Jericho, you start doing life on your own. God wants a relationship with you. And just like AI was the gate to the promised land, for some of us, it's those, it's those mundane, normal, quote-unquote, tasks that we think that we can do on our own that is limiting our intimacy with God because we need to be completely humble to Him. We need to trust Him and say, God, I can't do it without you and I need you. I don't want to do it in my own strength. And we need to acknowledge the, the hidden things underneath the surface that God hates and acknowledge those things that are gaining roots in our hearts. I really believe that the Holy Spirit needs us to pull out those roots, to pull out the pride, pull out the jealousy, pull out the comparison, pull out the envy and the gossip, the things that God hates. And He say, God, it's all yours. Please forgive me. And then thank God for the fact that we're underneath the new covenant. We're underneath grace. So I'm praying today that we would recognize the AIs. We would not fall into the success trap. You would not fall into the failure trap. And that you would trust God in absolutely everything that you do.